we continually eat things or inundate our bodies with toxins, you know, poor food choices, don't drink enough water, don't get enough rest, have a ridiculous amount of stress in our lives. Um, that heat on the pot keeps turning up, keeps turning up, keeps turning up to the point where we're simmering. You're listening to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. Chris and Jana are parents of three, life and business partners who share their personal development techniques so you can grow yourself and grow your marriage. Chris and Jana here with the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. This is episode... Number 34. Yes, number 34. In this episode, we spoke to Cammie Shaw. And I'll tell you guys, this was a jam-packed episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Also, we were interrupted by L3, our Lena Grace. She woke up from a nap. And so uh, you'll get to enjoy hearing some sounds from her too, just to let you know. Yeah, the end of this episode gets a little crazy because Lena wanted to add her two cents. But yeah, I got to talk to Cammie actually before we even recorded and Cammie's a registered nurse of 23 years, and then she's also a nurse aromatherapist. So she kind of takes Western medicine meets, I don't know, Chris, what would you say, holistic medicine approach. And then, so she's that by day and a special needs mom by night. And I got to tell you, like Chris said, this episode is packed. We kind of go through a lot of different subjects, but the whole core of the message is Cami is walking us through what it's like to get through adversity because we all face it, but what it's like to nurture her marriage and her career and her life and her other children, as well as her child who has autism. So it's a pretty cool perspective and I think you guys will enjoy it. Without further ado, Cammie Shaw. Cammie Shaw, welcome to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. Thanks for being with us. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, Cammie, Jonna has told me a little bit about uh, some of your conversation so far. I'll let, I'll let Jonna recap a little bit, um, and then we will, we will jump into, uh, into a little bit of your story. Yeah, Cammie, I'm excited to have you on here. Uh, pre-recording, Cammie and I got the chance to have a little discussion, and I feel like we could have talked forever. So this, conver- <laughs> this podcast episode might be long because I really resonate with a lot of what Cammie talks about, and your stories unique. You have a very interesting background and and I'm excited to dive into a little bit about you. So if you can just tell our listener um, just a little bit about who you are and what your family structure looks like and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, so I um, I am late 40s now, which is crazy. I can't believe I'm the older mom. Like I know we talked about that on our call. You have, yeah. uh, you have some younger children. I'm in deep into the teen years and early adulthood for my kids. And I, I can't really believe that I'm that mom. Like you always, when you have first kids, you like you look at older yeah. moms and you're like, it feels like so far away. And then all of a sudden you're there. Um, but my story really started with my middle child. So I have my firstborn, um, my daughter's 20. And then I had my second child, Jeffrey, he's now 17. And um, he, from the very beginning, from the actually during my pregnancy, I had multiple challenges with him um, and multiple um, diagnoses, really. Like they were, you know, looking for things. Things were just not quite right during my pregnancy. And that just started what became like a 10-year journey of really figuring out um, 
what was going on with my son. And I have a nursing background. I've been a nurse for 23 years. I worked um, up until this past year in a large academic medical center. Um, so really, we would we would tease and call my hospital the Mecca. I mean, really, this place is an incredible um just foundation. It has got like so much knowledge and work with really incredible people doing um, really incredible things. And I loved my job. Um, and we also have a children's hospital right next door. So I could really tap into the best and the brightest in Western medicine for my son. But what ended up happening really quickly was I got a lot of shoulder shrugs and I got a lot of I don't really know, like what is happening. So my son had um, all these developmental delays, all of these. So we had therapy. We were engaged with early intervention from the time he was three months old. We were told when he was nine weeks old that he had a hearing impairment. We were actually told he was profoundly deaf. So that started our journey um, to like special needs parenting, right? Kind of that transitioned us into that. Um, and so we started with in-home therapy and, you know, physical therapists and occupational therapists. And to be honest, what happens when you're just immersed in that is they become your friends. It's a very lonely journey. I mean, I think motherhood, especially early motherhood can be a little lonely because you're with this baby and you only have, you know, you don't want to have any time of your own and, you know, the baby's crying and you have to do this. And so it's a, it can be a very lonely journey, but then imagine adding that another layer of therapy and doctor's appointments and um, trying to figure out what was going on. I mean, my son does not fit into a box. It wasn't like they could say, even though they gave me the profoundly deaf diagnosis, he still wasn't like his peers, you know, from a very young age, it was very odd. And I would, you know, go to see physicians and they would say, I'm not really sure. And he's just Jeffrey. And he is, everybody is a unique individual, but I really needed more answers than that. So developmentally, he wasn't catching up. Even once he wore hearing aids, we learned sign language. We did all the um, stuff that you need to do for somebody who's hearing impaired, but he still wasn't quite catching up. At the same time, he was sick all the time. Um, he had his first set of ear tubes when he was six months old. He had his adenoids out when he was three. Um, he was hospitalized for ear infections. He was in the ICU in respiratory distress for the common cold. Like stuff that I knew as a nurse just should not be happening. And, and I kept saying to my medical team, to the pediatrician and um, other people that I knew, and I would just say like, this isn't right. Like what? I don't understand. I don't understand. I know enough about the body that I know that this is not the right thing. And we did all the testing. I mean, he's seen almost every specialist <laughs> that is available because um, I was just searching for answers. And like I said, I was getting a lot of shoulder shrugs. Um, and be luckily, because I worked at the Academic Med Medical Center, I had a lot of access to research. So I worked night shift at the time. I was an incredibly sleep deprived mom, like ridiculous because I was working night shift. And um, but I would sit sometimes at work and I would just start looking up research articles, like trying to figure out my son. And I put little pieces of the puzzle together. Um, and then I would do the next thing. You know, I would find a physician or find a specialist in that field and sort of explore that a little bit. But I really never... I never got to like the answer for a long time. Um, he was given an autism diagnosis when he was four, also ADHD diagnosis at that time. And at, in order to get that diagnosis, you see a developmental pediatrician. So it's a, a specialist that would do the diagnosing. Just the process 
of getting that appointment was about nine months. Oh my God. So you have like, you can't just call up a developmental pediatrician and like make an appointment. You can't. So you have to submit paperwork. There were, um, there were surveys that my husband and I had to fill out. There were surveys that the, his, um, therapist and also like preschool teacher and that kind of stuff they had to submit. We had to submit some paperwork from the doctors. Um, and so we finally get this appointment. You go through all this testing. It's very rigorous and long. And then they, you go back in for your diagnosis, like your diagnosis appointment. So we went back in for that. That was when she, you know, gave us the autism diagnosis and the ADHD diagnosis, neither of which I actually knew at that point already. I just kind of need somebody to like sign it, you know, to say it's official. So it wasn't all that upsetting. It wasn't like it was life changing for us, but, um, then I said, okay, so we have this, we kind of have more information. What do we do now beyond he was already in therapy and all that kind of stuff. And, and her response was, well, I can write you this prescription. Oh my gosh. And I was like, he's four, number one. And number two, I'm a nurse and I know that medication. And I'm not really sure that's like what I want to do yet. I don't have anything against medication, but huh. There's risks and benefits to every single medical decision that we make, right? So sure. I was, all I imagined was my kid sedated, really, mm. and not himself. And he was a rambunctious four-year-old. I mean, he had his challenges, but he was funny and he would, you know, jump off furniture and, <laughs> you know, like be busy and, you know, four-year-olds should be busy and he should be like running around singing songs or whatever, or wanting to watch TV or giving me a hard time. I mean, part of it as well. Um <laughs> And so I really didn't want to like blunt his personality. That was not ideal for me. And so I, I pushed back a little bit and I said, what else? Like, is there something else before this? Like, is this the only thing? Like, there's got to be something in between like doing nothing and medicating. Jumping them. straight to medication. Yeah. 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 And she, I was incredibly disappointed. Um, and I don't, it's nothing against her. I think it's a system problem, mm -hmm. but I was disappointed because you know, her, her, her response was sort of like, well, I mean, I guess you can try nutrition. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, really? You guess I can try nutrition? Wow. And she like wrote, scribbled down this name of a diet she had heard about, but you know, it was created in the seventies and there wasn't really great research around it, but some people found it helpful. Like, I don't know, mom, mm -hmm. like sort of like, yeah, I'm just going to write this down. at some quacky thing. Like, I don't know. I guess you could give it a try. I cannot, that actually that was it. so frustrated because I cannot wrap my head and Chris and I've talked about this all the time and it cannot wrap my head around why, especially with a child as young as four, do, do a lot of physicians jump straight to medication without trying, without getting really fired up over here, without <laughs> trying things naturally like food that is going to well, be different. Well, and not just natural, but like foundational. Yeah. Sure. Like foundational yeah. to life. Nutrition is right. foundational to right. life. Exactly. Well, right? the, body, the body heals the body. You just have to give it a chance to do that. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't want to vilify physicians because I, no, I don't, it no, start, no. doesn't start there. It starts with the system. And even looking back at my education as a nurse, I mean, I took one semester of nutrition and my nutrition class was basically... Is super basic, you know, very, very basic. Pyramid. 
Yeah, the pyramid that we know isn't even accurate anymore. Um, and it was tracking my meals. So like we had to track like what we ate and then compare it to what we should be eating. And like, that's all I walked away from. It was never how to teach our patients. And nurses do a lot of education, how to teach our patients about nutrition, um, how to encourage them, you know, give them like tools. People need tools. And, and I will also say that I believe from a cultural standpoint, we are so fixated on instant gratification mm, and I'm going to yeah. like sound like a grandma. No, true, I think right. some of this is consumerism as well. Yeah. If I can just take a pill and feel better, yeah. then I don't have to get serious about the fact that eating fast food five days a week is going to destroy my health. Right. What we know to be true is it will destroy your health and you will have a shortened lifespan. But in that moment, people just want what they want. Sure. You know, it's just like the, the push for, um, you know, antibiotics whenever anybody feels badly. Well, okay. If you're not aware of how that has, that is the worst idea. We have a crisis on our hands. We don't have sure. antibiotics that work. We have all of these bacteria that are antibiotic resistant. Well, a lot of that happened, in my opinion, because there were moms and dads going and saying, my kid has an ear infection, make them feel better. I want an antibiotic, even when the doctor's saying, it's viral, this isn't going to work. And so it's, it's both of us. Like we, every, people need to get yeah. educated, families, parents, you know, we need to self-advocate. We need to empower ourselves. We need to educate. We need to understand the decisions that we're making. And we also need the medical community to be more open to the foundational natural options that are available to us. And so much is driven by money. I mean, if you even, I have, I should have looked this up because I forget what it's called, but in the early 1900s, when medical school um, was first created, like, you know, physicians never, they didn't have schooling, like ancient times, you know, you had the traditional medicine man, you had like, even no, through yeah. like mm -hmm. the dark ages, like it was just, and it was not a profession that people looked up to at all. Like they mm -hmm. were, it was like, not, it was kind of like the trash man, like nobody really wow. looked up to physicians. Um, and so yes, in a, in a way, when they created medical schools, it was meant to start creating some consistency across care. So that's good. I think we should, can all agree that that's good. But the people that started the medical schools, also got to determine what was taught. They were heavily, um, the money that was poured mm -hmm. in to start it was from the pharmaceutical industry when medications were new, right? Mm -hmm. They realized they could monetize that and turn it into a business. And so a lot of the natural practitioners, you know, people who relied on herbology and homeopathics and essential oils, which were kind of all we had before we had modern medicine, right? Was plant medicine, they were pushed out the door and they were considered the quacks and that education stopped. Yeah. Right. So it went to completely just what we know as like Western medicine and they got rid of like the Eastern medicine kind of natural side. And also then, you know, some of you could make the argument that some of the propaganda was then like an us versus them. They're crazy. That stuff doesn't work, you know, and now we know the right way. This is the modern way. And then let's even bring that back to like, I mean, I know you guys are younger than me, but my, I grew up in like what I call the Weight Watchers generation. So mm -hmm. my mom was like a lifetime Weight Watchers member. And I remember growing up on Weight Watchers dessert. So you could eat your eclair 
I love the frozen eclairs. You could eat your frozen eclair, but if you actually look at what that was made of, it was not food. It was all synthetic. So that was when like, you should have margarine and not butter because fat is bad. And you should have, you know, this fake food that's now all synthetic and throw in sugar at it. Yeah, it's low fat, but it's got a, you know, all this sugar in it, sugar in it or trans fat versus right. Like that was kind of when a lot of those convenience meals Mm -hmm. and ideas started to come out. And again, instant gratification. My mom wanted to lose weight. So yeah, if I can still have the taste of a dessert, if I don't have to deny myself that and still lose weight, then yay, win-win, right? Yeah. Right. What we know now is that has totally decimated. Why do you think we have the obesity epidemic that we have? Like our metabolism is jacked. And my mom, I see it in my mom. She has taken years to recover her health, her gut health, her um, metabolic health. And there's things that like she's probably always going to struggle with. But I'm just glad that we kind of got on that with her like before <laughs> it was too late. And so I think it's kind of like this converging issue, right? I think we're looking, consumers are looking for the easy option, right? And then, and then as a healthcare provider, or, um, you know, somebody who's offering, like, I want you to lose weight, like everybody wants to do it the easy way. And there is no easy way. Like, oh, you're don't preaching. get him started. Oh, don't, you're don't get him so started preaching right now. I mean, the reality is, if that magic bullet or pill existed, I mean, I I would have been out of business a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, you are you are exactly right. And and some something that goes down a further rabbit hole, which we won't go down because we will not have time for that. Is is really what it comes down to is behaviors. Um, of understanding that, you know what, there is no such thing as instant gratification that's going to change you long term. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but again, that is, that is a different, a different place. Um, okay, Cammie. So I do want to rewind a little bit because I know when you and I talked pre-recording that you told me you did not follow that pediatrician's advice by going straight to medication. So did you follow the diet she recommended or how did that end up going? Yeah. So that was one of the things that I researched when I went to work. I think I worked actually that night after we got the diagnosis. And so I was like, let me, you know, let me look this up. Cause she had said it was a, you know, a diet that was created in the seventies and there wasn't really good, like consistent research to advocate, you know, for its use, but I could try it. So I was like, let me see. And so I researched and I did find the research studies. A lot of it was anecdotal, you know, family saying this like changed everything. And so I felt like I had enough evidence that it was worth a try. And I felt like, what do I have to lose? I mean, changing his diet is not the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, right? And it's not going to hurt him to change his diet. So versus choosing the medication and kind of letting that be like my, you know, my like throw spaghetti at the wall and maybe it'll work. Like I, I didn't have the risk versus benefit with the diet, right? That I did with the medication. I felt like that was riskier. So um, it's called the fine gold diet. And I went ahead and tried it. I I went all in. It's actually um, what I know now is that it's an elimination diet. So you are eliminating certain foods and then you reintroduce them to see, you know, how your body reacts. And I'm a huge advocate for elimination diets now, because again, it goes back to the instant gratification. Also in the nutrition industry, everybody thinks that the next new diet is the one that's going to fix them, where it's really more about understanding your own body and doing the work 
so you can know how food makes you feel. Um, and so that's exactly what the fine gold diet was. So we removed, um, they have this whole guideline. We removed all these, you know, foods. Um, it was hard. It was not easy, but you do it for four weeks. And I was like, I could do anything for four weeks. Like, let me just plan. And, you know, that's just who I am. And so we did it. And at two and a half weeks in, we definitely, our, our house was calmer. He was calmer and able to focus. And mind you, at this time, he was barely verbal. Like he was only, he was four, but he was barely verbal. So there was a lot high frustration for him because he couldn't speak. So he would just stand in my kitchen sometimes and scream. And I would be like, I don't know what you want. I would have everything out of the cabinets. Like, do you want cookies? Do you want crackers? Do you want this? Like, it was hard. Yeah. Because what do you want? Couldn't, yeah. What do you want from me? Because he wasn't verbal, right? Yeah. So we noticed a lot more calm. And then at three and a half weeks, um, we did what every parent fears. And we had a photography session for our, my in-laws, it was going to be, it was their Christmas coming up, I think it was. And we were doing a, um, a picture of all the grandchildren. So there were six grandchildren, age seven and younger. And we had twins. Um, my nieces were twi- like little babies at the time, but they were crawling. So I was like, this is just a complete and total <laughs> oh, yeah. gonna be a disaster. Like, oh, like Jeffrey absolutely. can't even sit still you know, watching his favorite TV show, much less sit still, turn your face, smile, right. look at the camera, like this is going to be awful. And so, you know, my, my brother and sister-in-law and my husband and I were there and we we're all sweating, you know, the parents are in like sweatpants oh, and the kids oh, are all like, they're all dressed in their Christmas finest. Right. And, um, Jeffrey smiled and looked at the camera and did not get distracted when like the, all the babies were crawling all over him. And I mean, the picture is still, I have it up and on my, I actually have it on my computer because it's just, it was that moment where my husband and I knew we were onto something. It was like, right. I mean, that's the way it felt like, and I just was in tears and you know, the photographer's like, are you okay? You know, we were like, he's sitting, he's you know so it was it really I, that for me solidified just how important nutrition is and um you know and at that point I had delved in a little bit to why they were removing some of the foods they were removing I had watched food 911 it was like in my opinion it was like the first really documentary on like our American diet and how horrible it is. And I was like mortified by the whole thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, it's one of those, like, once you delve in, you start going down that rabbit hole oh, and you're like, I can't oh, unsee it. I can't unsee right. it. I can't, right? I can't. Yep. Um, every single food I would look at, I would be like, oh, yeah, that's evil. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. So that really, that definitely for me was a turning point. And I also, for me, I felt like that was the moment where I decided to take control. Um, another little soapbox, you know, I get on the consumerism and the you know medical system, but I think it all comes down to um, we've handed our power away. Mm, yes. We hand our power away to the medical community. And I love my physician colleagues, but they're human. Sure. Right. And at the end of the day, you're the one that goes home with your body you leave that doctor's appointment and you're going home with your body. Your doctor isn't. I would always say to my patients, like you're the one in the bed, not me. I'm going home to my family. So like, if you don't make changes, if you don't make better choices for your health, you're the one that's stuck in that body. Not me. I'm leaving. 
So we all have to really understand that we have to take our power back. And that doesn't mean I know more than the expert in the field. Do you know what I mean? I'm not an oncologist. I'm not a cardiologist. I'm not right. But I do know my body better than anybody else in this world. And I also believe as a parent that I know my children's bodies better than everybody else, anybody else does. And I think a lot of parents hand over their power. They hand their power over to doctors. They hand power over to educators because they feel like, like you said, Jonna, I don't have a medical background. Yeah, but you carried those babies in your womb for nine months. You You created that life. You are the expert on them until they become the expert for themselves. I'm thankful you say that because like I like I said, I did not know with my first two kids that I even had the option to look into or combat what they're telling me because I'm like, oh, okay, they went to school for this. But not only do I have the mother's intuition, but the doctors see them for 10, 15 minutes um, every few months, maybe even their first year of life every year when they're a little bit older. So, and I feel like even as grownups, it's the same way that they don't have the time to get to know what's going on with us. Yes. Let me speak to that. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Let's so, get Chris on his soapbox. Well, well, it's not necessarily a soapbox, but, uh, Cammie, are you familiar with Dr. Stephen Cabral? Mm-mm. So he, he runs a podcast called The Cabral Concept. He's fantastic. Um, he he wrote a book called The Rain Barrel Effect. Uh, and I, w- I won't go into the, all the details with that, but it's incredible. Um, I will say that one of the coolest quotes in his book is that, you know what, there is absolutely a place for, for conventional medicine, and then there's a place for, for preventative. Uh, but what's really interesting is we have to understand that what was once met as healthcare has now become sick care because we only have enough time, doctors, physicians, all those people, and no no bashing them at all. They only have enough time to take care of the sick people. And so we, like you said, when you said take back our power, we have to understand there's, there is a level of, okay, I have to take certain elements of this into my control because not only is everybody trying to push an agenda of here's the right diet plan, here's here are the right pharmaceuticals to take all that stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it becomes a mess. It's our mm-hmm. responsibility, I think. Yeah to yeah, personal responsibility. start to understand, yes, yeah, what our personal right. bodies need, like you said, and, and our kids the same because mm-hmm. they don't know, obviously. They're falling blindly too. So sure. um, I do have a just a random quick question with that. So did you have both of your other kids at that time or just your older daughter whenever you switched the diet? When I switched the diet, let me see, Jeffrey was four. So I either had my youngest was either a newborn or he was in utero. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> he did just, that. No, he was born. He was born because he was there for the pictures. Oh, yeah. So okay, but he was little. Pictures. He was not yeah. yet one. He was he was little. Yeah. Okay. Little guy. I'm just mm-hmm. wondering because I know as a mother to multiple children, you know, the idea of switching a diet is it do you do it for everybody or just that kid? You know? So I'm the mean mom and I was like, we're all a family. It's yeah. all or nothing. And so I made everybody, we all did it. Like it was because I I really feel like we're a team and we have to be supportive of one another. Um, I do think my daughter still is harbors a little bit of of grudge around that. She's the only one that remembers, right? The the other ones were were little, Um, but my husband was on board and she's fine now. Like we laugh about it, but, um, but I definitely felt like, you know, I wasn't just going to say, no, Jeffrey, you can't have that. 
Sure. Like that's in the pantry, but you can't have that. I, I just, right. he's already different enough that I, I didn't want the chasm to grow even wider from like sure. an emotional standpoint. Um, and then what ended up happening was my husband felt a ton better. And the diet was actually created for the ADHD community, um, mm-hmm. impulsivity, excitability. And my husband's like, honestly, I think I probably have AD, like undiagnosed ADD. I didn't know about it. He was high functioning. Like it's never really gotten, it's never impacted him, but he felt so much better that there's wow. a lot of foods that he was like, I'm not even going to go back to that because I didn't mm-hmm. feel good. So that was a lot of really good information for all of us. Um, to take into account. So I'm really intrigued. So for our listener who doesn't know what an elimination diet is, it, it sounds pretty simple, but, but what level of aggressiveness, um, did you and your family start with as far as the elimination diet went, um, to really get Jeffrey moving in the right direction? Yeah, so the fine gold diet actually removes um, something called salicylates. So you've got natural salicylates, um, which are found in like tomatoes. Um, and you've also got synthetic salicylates, which are found in a lot of the preservatives. And when you hear people say like, oh, my son can't have food dyes, like no red dye, no blue dye, that's the salicylates. Of the synthetic salicylates, here's the thing that creeped me out. The synthetic salicylates tend to come from petroleum products. And I was like, hang, wait a second, come again, petroleum, like these preservatives like BHT, THBQ, they're petroleum based, but they're in our food. Like why? Right. It blew my mind. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. The food dyes as well, petroleum based. Um, So you get rid of all of the salicylates. So we did have to get rid of um, nightshade vegetables are high in salicylates. Mm -hmm. So tomatoes, white potatoes. Um, eggplant, um, like cayenne pepper, um, bell peppers, they are all nightshade vegetables. And what's mm-hmm. been interesting about that, I have since done um, elimin- an elimination diet for me personally, because I have um, some digestive issues. I did that years ago. So I did one that was just focused on your GI, you know, really getting your digestive system on track. Um, and it also removes the salicylates, like some of the salicylates and the um, the nightshade vegetables. So I was like, Oh, interesting, different, like different, um, aim from like a medical perspective. Right. Um, but some of the same philosophies. So really with any elimination diet, it's getting rid of like offending what we presume to be the offensive food. There are offensive food groups. Like we know there's a lot of gluten intolerance. There's a lot of dairy Mm -hmm. intolerance. So like a good elimination diet would, would remove those things. Um, and then you add them back. So you get off of them for a period of time, allow your body to heal and rest. And then as long as you're feeling better, then you start to add something back one at a time and you just see how your body reacts. It's almost like when you start food with your babies, you're not giving them a five course meal the first time they eat food. You're giving them one thing for four sure. days, making sure they don't have a reaction to it. Right. You're, and that's the same concept um, with an elimination diet. And I think you can you know, there's certain people, especially if you have like an autoimmune disorder or something, you may need to eliminate more things. Um, for me, with my gastric stuff, it was, you know, this these seven things I removed for Jeffrey because of the ADHD. You know, there were specific, those salicylates were really what we picked out. Sorry. Sorry. Our baby's sleeping and I thought I heard her coughing or crying. Mm-hmm. I think we're okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. Okay. 
No, that is all super, super good information. Here's my question from a from a family perspective. So I know a lot of moms out there listening are probably like, well, it's hard enough to feed my family. Um, you know, how, how, well, there's one thing I know as somebody who, who has a nutritionist on my online fitness team. And one is that your taste thresholds are, are very high when you're eating a lot of different things. So going through an elimination diet, um, eating, eating presumably more clean foods and things like that. I mean, how, how difficult was it to to get your family on board? Like you said, you're a team, but I mean, was was that challenging? And and what ages were were your other kids? Yeah, so Jeffrey was four, so Megan was seven, and then Christian was a baby. He was like little less than one, so he was the easy one. He didn't have a choice. But um, but really, from so my take on it is, you need to know. We all know what our kids like. So my first job was to find alternatives that were acceptable. Yeah, chicken nuggets. Exactly. (laughs) So I needed to find appropriate alternatives for their favorite foods. Like you can't tackle everything, but if you can give them like things that they really love that are a better option for them and they're out there, you might have to do a little bit of digging. Um, that made it much easier because it wasn't like we're removing everything and you can never have any of these good things. And they were like, where's my goldfish, right? That was a yeah, big, absolutely. a big deal. Where's my Cheerios or whatever. So choose the things that are the priority for your family. Um, and then I did a lot of prep. So Sunday was like my prep day because I, you know how it is, right? You're tired. And, and I was working at the time and, you know, getting home from work and like deciding what to have for dinner. Clearly during elimination diet, you're not putting the kids in the car and going to McDonald's. Not the easy. Yeah gross anyway, but no judgment, but you know, you weren't, I wasn't ordering pizza because I was too tired to cook dinner. So I, I really tasked myself to be very organized and pre-plan, but what was great um, with both the Feingold diet and the diet that I did personally was there were a lot of recipes. So mm-hmm. I just did my research, you know, I started, I meal planned for the month. Um, I made sure that there were good options for the kids that were equal you're as close to equal as I could get. Um, and it really, at the end of the day, was not as painful as I thought it was going to be. I think we don't do it because we think it's going to be really yeah. hard. Right. And, right. Um, you know, and now it's it just changed everything for us. You know, it was like that, that glimmer of hope is what I saw when we took a picture, that picture that day. That's so cool. Well, we yeah. always talk about how kids are much more adaptable then we actually give them credit for because same thing, like our middle child is the pickiest eater all of a sudden. And I'm like, I know if we just change it, we might go through a week of, of frustration and maybe she'll not eat as much, but then they adapt and you're like, Oh, okay. That wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's just getting there. I think it's just as modern day mothers, right? We're super overwhelmed and fathers and everything's always going. And like the idea of sitting down and preparing a meal plan for the month makes my head spin right now, even though I know it's important, but I like you said, once you dive into it, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate you bringing some of those details to light because I know, I know someone was listening and like, well, but how does that work? How, you know, how is that possible? So I think it, like you said, it comes down to saying like, okay, here's what we need to accomplish and here are the steps we need to take to do so. And it comes down to a level of disintentionality, right? Absolutely. And it's not forever. 
You know, it is not forever. Elimination diet is not meant to be forever um, unless you actually react to something. And then, you know, you may need to get rid of that one thing, but it's, it's for the greater good and it's detective work. That's what I, that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, we're doing some detective work because you only have to do this once. You don't have to do it over and over again. You need to do it once and you're getting a lot of information and a lot of feedback from your body. And then you can, you can make better choices moving forward. And, you know, when I did my elimination diet, I was convinced I was, I had a gluten problem convinced. Like, so I added that gluten back first. I had a big old bagel. Like I had my husband go and get like me the biggest bagel he could find. Cause I was like, if this is my last time eating gluten ever, I'm going to make it worth my while. And I didn't react. Wow. And my problem ended up being dairy. And wow. I didn't, I didn't know. Wow. And I'm so grateful that I know that now because I feel better. I avoid right. dairy and I feel better. I'm like, yay. It was a win-win and I could still have my big old bagel. Right. Hey, there you go. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so, so Jana actually went through um, something similar. We we did food sensitivity tests with her, uh, and she had you have like eight allergies, right? Yeah. Something crazy. Well, same thing. I wasn't feeling good, and I was having a lot of weird neurological things, and I was going to all the specialists, and nope, the shoulder shrugs, kind of like you said, because it just wasn't checking all the boxes of any one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we went the functional med route. And that's kind of when we got into all of this and more interested in it. And yeah, I did a bunch of food sensitivity testing and I did an elimination diet and it came back. I was highly intolerant to eggs, dairy, gluten, wheat, whey, mildly peanuts, tuna and avocado, like all this stuff that I was eating on a regular basis because you know, we were clean eaters. So eggs and avocado on toast and like that kind of stuff was Mm -hmm. my everyday meal. So the elimination elimination diet for me was really tough just because there were so those things are in everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been when I'm eating, when I'm not eating those things, it's night and day how I feel. But um, my, my reactions are slower because they said it was like 72 hours usually for those things to react. And sometimes I have weird neurological things. Sometimes I get like a rash. Sometimes I'm just bloated and feel gross, but yeah. I'm also always pregnant, so I never right? know which she symptom is, is, is what. Always pregnant. <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to know. Uh, so, you did the elimination diet for your family. Um, is Jeffrey still on it? So that's been incredibly interesting because he's now 17, right? So this was 13 mm-hmm. years ago we did this, yeah. um, and this is what I believe happens. <laughs> you want to hear my theory? Absolutely. Not proven by science, but this is my theory. I'm a very visual person. Experience is powerful. Yeah. So I feel like the human body, the way I visualize it is like we're a pot of water. Imagine like a big old stock pot, right? That's sitting on your stove. And when we continually eat things or inundate our bodies with toxins, you know, poor food choices, don't drink enough water, don't get enough rest, have a ridiculous amount of stress in our lives. Um, that heat on the pot keeps turning up, keeps turning up, keeps turning up to the point where we're simmering, right? So when you've got this and that simmering, I really want you to think about it as inflammation where we're finding that there's a correlation between, you know, out of control inflammation and chronic illnesses and how that's decimating our health as a society. And so 
we're just, we just have all this inflammation because you keep eating the things that are upsetting. Your gut is like, wow, you know, totally inflamed. Um, hormones are a wreck. So you've got this like simmering pot of water that's your body. Well, you all know when you're making something, when you're trying to boil water, if you're at a simmer, it only takes like a little, you know, a little turn of the heat to have a full boil and you're going to boil over right? So that's all it takes. We add that offending food that you're, you know, sensitive to or whatever, and then you boil over. So you have all these symptoms, you keep having all these symptoms. So what you need to do with an elimination diet is that actually brings, it cools down that water. And so you just bring down that level of inflammation and just insult that you've been giving to your body. You're allowing your body to rest and recover and bring that water you know, down to a cooler level, you do some gut healing, you know, give your body a rest. And so it takes a lot more for you to boil over. So I know for myself, I can tolerate dairy again, a little bit, my son can tolerate a lot of the things that he couldn't eat before. Um, And his his reactions would always be behavioral. He would just be a madman, like a crazy person. And so much, he's much better now. And I know I can be like, ooh, that birthday cake, you know, at a party when he was five, I was like, don't have it or give him like a little tiny one. Now I let him have it, but he doesn't really respond the same way. And I believe it's because we have cooled off his body. It's not taking that little bit of extra insult to his body to just cause like a just complete boil over for him. Yeah. I love that imagery and it helps me selfishly because I've always think that, you know, I'll do really well five days all week. We cook at home. I cook at home and I'll do really well avoiding the things that my body doesn't tolerate well. But when you eat out, I mean, even if you avoid those things, there's cross contamination. It, it's impossible. So mm-hmm. I always worry that I'm undoing everything when I eat out. Mm-hmm. So that's really good to know. Mm-hmm. That is. The baby's yeah. crying. Yeah. <laughs> she has to go. So, Cammie. The book I was talking to you about earlier, The Rain Barrel Effect, mm-hmm. very similar illustration. Um, really? That, yeah, you, you should read it. You would love it. Um, yeah. And you, I, w- I would encourage you to, uh, to, uh, to check out Dr. Cabril. He is, he is awesome. I'm sure, I'm sure you guys share a lot of, a lot of the same. I, I have a question about, um, about, about your practice. So do you, do you work with um, people through the elimination diet? Um, who are, who are going through mental health struggles? So I can, I mean, my, you know, my area of expertise obviously is special needs families um, just because of my own personal experience. But I think, you know, you can make the argument that a lot of our special needs kids are kind of under that mental health umbrella and mental health is important for everybody. Right. Um, So I wouldn't say that I don't work with people like that, but what I really do is um, educate people, um, anybody really on, and families, especially on how to really take control of their health, how to get back in that driver's seat, how to take their power back, um, and do the simple things that I did. Cause I'm all about simple steps. I mean, elimination diet feels big, but it really is the foundation of everything. And then you build from there, but like, how can we get more rest? How can we decrease our stress? How can we, um, really have some proactive healthcare, right? Say like you were talking about prevention and proactive healthcare. We don't do that well in Western medicine. So how can we prevent a lot of these eventual things that are happening in life? And I think we have a lot of tools at our disposal, disposal, just people don't know what the tools are. And so I'm all about teaching people those tools. 
And so I work with them either through, I do a challenge, like a seven day challenge group. And so you can like learn from me for seven days. It's kind of an intensive, um, but then I also do it long-term in a coaching group that I have. So we'll, we're working through the elimination diet actually right now um, mm -hmm. together as a group so that you feel that you're in community. Like I was talking about the loneliness of, you know, motherhood, the loneliness of being a step, um, a special needs parent is really profound. And I had to do this all by myself. Like I had to do the research all by myself. I had to implement it all by myself. It was very much a lonely road and I don't want others to feel so alone. Um, because if you can share your struggles, it's just better for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. I think, I think that is, that is really great. I think John mentioned before, before we had you on the show that we would have very, very similar, uh, views on, on health, health mm -hmm. and wellness. Uh, and yeah, that is, that is also pretty similar to, to my program as well. So I am totally, totally on board with everything you're saying there. I love it. That's awesome. That's I'm great. just on board with you as a mom. You're a superstar to be able to handle. I just am like thinking of your story. You're saying you're working nights and researching and you got these little kids at home. And then to, you know, obviously anytime our children have anything going on, it's it's stressful on a parent. So I just you're a rock star. I I want I just wanted to say that because oh, you really you. you really are. That's that's a lot. Um I do. I know this is this could go a whole different direction, but I really just think it's important. I want to bring up that before we got on here and we had our own separate talk, you were talking about, you know, obviously our podcast is Grace Self, Grow Your Marriage. So I'm curious to know a little bit about how you and your husband were a team through, because it's hard enough to have children. And I know the social worker said something to you. So I kind of, I want to go into that just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. So I always, my husband and I talk about, and I kind of tease, I'm like, this could have gone so badly. I mean, we met, I was 19, he was 20. We were super young, got married 23 and 24. And you don't know what you're doing. I mean, I knew I loved him, but I was like, let's get married. Yay. It's so fun, <laughs> right? That. Yes. Right. That's the way we all kind of go into this. You don't really right. understand the decision that you're making. Um, and then, you know, we had, we had our daughter and life was wonderful, you know, party of three. And then we had Jeffrey and it was like, what? <laughs> What are we going to yeah. do? And I'll tell you a big thing that people said to us was, oh, Jeffrey's so lucky to have you because you're a nurse and your husband's a teacher. And I have to tell you, I never felt, I didn't feel lucky. Like I was mm -hmm. like, could, if I changed mm -hmm. careers, like I wouldn't right. have a special needs kid. Like this is just hard. This is sure. just hard. Um, I mean, I'm lucky to have him now. I, but at the time I just felt like that was so heavy. Like it doesn't make it any easier that I'm a nurse to have to deal with this. Sure. It really doesn't. It gave mm -hmm. me a knowledge base, but it didn't make it easier. And then, you know, as part of when you get a diagnosis, um, you are assigned a social worker because that's how you get all your therapy, you know, and stuff like that. And um, one of the first things, I'm not sure this is the right thing for her to say, but she did. One of the first things that she said to my husband and I was that, um, our divorce rate, especially as being special needs parents, we had an 85% chance of getting divorced. Wow. Encouraging. Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I come from a divorced family. So that was really like really hard for me to hear. My mom was a single mom and I was like, Oh, what? like that was never what I wanted. And, um, it was very hard to hear. And she left and we're trying to process everything. And, you know, I just kind of looked at my husband and I was like, we're going to be that 15%. Like the worst thing in the world that can happen 
to Jeffrey with all of his already, all of his challenges is for them to have divorced parents. Like, how is that going to ever help him? You know, and all he's already got all these, all these things stacked against him. And so we just kind of dug our heels in and we figured it out. And I know John, I shared with you, I think the biggest thing in marriage, like now that I'm older, I'm older and wiser is the grieving process can be very different for each spouse you know, how you deal with trauma, how you deal with struggles and challenges, and being very respectful of the other person's journey. Um, so my husband is the hider, like stuff would happen, we get a diagnosis with Jeffrey, and he would be like, I just want to watch sports and like not talk about it. And I'm the researcher. And I'm the talker. So you would get home and I would be like, I found this doctor and I found this thing and we're going to do this. And blah, 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 you know, and he was like, <gasps> you know, so yeah. we had to we had to learn how to navigate some of that like, while honoring each other. Um, but also like honoring each other in both ways for me to not bombard him, but him for him not to go too far down into his own cave where I felt like I was alone. Um, and so it's kind of bringing each other back to the middle. And we've, we've learned how to do that really well. Um, we haven't always done it well. I mean, there's been moments of like, where are you for me? And oh, sure. like, get out of my face. Like, I don't yeah. want to yeah. eat, sleep and drink autism. Like, yeah, I don't, wow. you know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. And so just navigating through that. And, and honestly, divorce was off the table. Like, mm. it was off the table. Not oh, even wow. a conversation. You guys are rock stars. That's so powerful. <laughs> that, yes, that is so Thanks. powerful. Um, so I have a, wait, do you have a question? I was just going to say, apologize for the baby. <laughs> yeah. If anybody hears all these random noises in the background, our one-year-old has joined us. She Lena, is. say hi. And she is so cute, guys. She's like, I'm not <laughs> saying hi. Yeah. She's like, I don't know what well, Now, now she'll be mute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so somebody is listening right now. And maybe they have suspicions that there's something going on with their child developmentally, you know, especially I'm sure it's a lot. I'm sure the challenges today are social media comparisons and like developmental, you know, I know every kid advances does different, different milestones at different times, but there's just so much information out there. That's overwhelming. I'm sure there's plenty of us who suspect that there could be something going on, whether, whether it's autism, ADHD, anything like that. So what, what advice do you give a parent who's in these early stages of wondering and, you know, what marriage advice also do you give them? Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest thing is no matter what diagnosis your child receives, it does not change who they are. I went to every doctor's appointment and I was like, you can call him purple. You can call him polka dot. He's still the same Jeffrey I walked in here with. Nothing yeah. has changed. You may have yeah. given him a label, but nothing has changed. So that's the bottom line. No matter whatever, whatever journey you're on, it does not matter. Like your kid is your kid. And like, just know that deep down that your kid is your kid and it doesn't change anything. I think that it's important for us to kind of know what we're dealing with because then you can respond, you know, so find, find practitioners that you trust, um, align with the diagnosis. Like, I think it's okay to kind of say like, you're telling me this, but that doesn't really feel like my kid. 
um, it's okay to continue to research and continue to kind of go down that road just a little bit, you know, like dig in and do a little bit of your own research. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say, I'm not sure I agree with that. You know what I mean? It's okay. Like, I, I think I want to give people permission to really be in charge and to take that power back, like I said. Um, yeah. And then from a marriage standpoint, I think you really got to dig in and have open communication and conversation and be willing to be really uncomfortable, like to say, you know, honey, I, I, I don't feel like you're um, in here with me in the trenches with me. Like, where are you? We have to do this together um, and get clear about your priorities. I mean, to be honest, as special needs parents, you know, we didn't have a lot of friends. I was not the mom going out to lunch or coffee with my girlfriends because I was off to a therapy appointment or off to a doctor's appointment or, you know, my husband wasn't golfing on Saturday mornings for, you know, 18 holes that his right. friends were, you know, he was like, I can't do that because we have this or that or the other thing. So we had to get really clear about our priorities and just kind of, kind of circle the wagons a little bit. And for a period of time, it's totally appropriate to do that. Yeah. Oh man, that is, you know what I love about, about your story is, well, I just love the way you're, you're just being real about it. I mean, you said like, this sucks, you know, like it's so, it's so difficult. And I feel like, I feel like people try to sugarcoat it like, well, that's okay. Well, you know, but you're, you're saying, look, it was a struggle, but we grew from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to grow, right? If you're not growing, you're dying. Let's be yes. clear. Right. So it, we, it could either make us better or it could destroy us. And we chose for it to make us better. And I, I tell you, like from the bottom of my heart, I would not change Jeffrey for the world. So many challenges, but he made me, I'm going to start to cry. He made me a better human, not just yeah. a better mom. He made me a better human. And I, my marriage is stronger. My relationship with my neurotypical children is stronger. My daughter is majoring in neuroscience and psychology. Oh, like wow. that girl is going to change the world. My 13 year old wants to be a therapist and work with special needs families. And, and not that my kids need to stay in the special needs arena, right? But they sure. have such tolerance and such understanding for people that are different. And my church community has grown because of Jeffrey. I mean, I was at a church retreat last weekend and just seeing these kids just embrace Jeffrey. They've known him his whole life and they don't think they, they don't exclude him. They think he's awesome. Just who he is. Like he makes everybody around him better. And I think when we embrace our challenges and really lean in is where you really get the most gold from it instead of just avoiding it. In this world, we will have trouble. It says it in the Bible, it just is, just is. We will have trouble. It's just how you respond to that trouble. And I'm not perfect about it. I mean, I cry, I throw pity parties. I mean, I do all the things, but, sure. but really getting up the next day and saying, I'm going to do better. Ugh. That's beautiful. Yeah. Over here. That's, that's outrageous. Amazing. I just, oh, I just man. wish I could like hug you through the computer because that's <laughs> so, that's just beautiful. I just, and I think it really speaks well to anybody facing any adversity. Cause like you said, we all have some sort of challenges we're facing in life and in marriage and parenting. So I was going to ask you, Cammie, uh, you know, John and I are 
we are Christians and God has gotten us through a lot, uh, especially with transitioning, you know, from me shutting down my business and just the, the, the constant uncertainty in our lives that was mm-hmm. never there before. Uh, and so I know that he has been the answer for us in those times of uncertainty. Um, you know, how has your faith uh, played a role in this journey for you guys? It's been the only thing in this journey. So we, my husband, I was raised in the church. Um, my husband went to Sunday school. He was dropped off at Sunday school by his parents. <laughs> so he got his Christian education, but never really was like, you know, immersed in a church. And we joined a church when our daughter was born. because She had to be baptized. You know, that's the right thing to do. And, um, but I didn't really have a personal relationship um, with Jesus until after I had Jeffrey. And, you know, when you, when you get that diagnosis, and at that time it was, it was a hearing impairment, right? So I was told my child was deaf. I was like, he's never going to hear me sing. He's mm. never going to hear me, my voice, all of that. And I knew there had to be a purpose for him and for the pain. And so I, Jesus came to me. I mean, God came to me in that moment and lifted me up when nothing else made sense. And I could have chosen to be mad, but I chose instead to believe that there was something greater that was going to come out of the situation and that he would guide me. God would guide me through it. And our faith has only grown. Um, And what's incredible is my son is so filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. It is palpable. Um, We do mission work in the Bahamas and we've been doing it for 15 years. And my son goes on the trips. And they call him the hugging prophet on the island of Grand Bahama. I'm not kidding. He taught himself how to play guitar um, off of YouTube, worship tutorials. It's all Christian worship music. And this guy teaches you how to play guitar. And Jeffrey taught himself how to play. And he plays in our worship band. And um, that was the retreat I was on this weekend. Like it's become, it's such a, it's such an anchor for us. Um, and I can't imagine doing life without my faith because what would be the point <laughs> of mm. all the pain, right? Like, like it's just, it can be so heavy at times, but um, I mean, I just see God working through my son in everything and even, you know, leading me to this point in my life to be able to impart all of the breakthrough that I've had for our health and our wellness and our family and our marriage and meeting people like you, like God just orchestrates and helps with all of those things. Um, you know, so that we can really be a community. He wants us to be in community. God, God's first thing is love. He loves us. And so we're meant to love one another. We're not meant to be apart from each other. So how can we help each other while we're here in this broken world? My goodness, that is amazing. Yeah, I love it. So, so something that I, I like to do when I hear people's stories is kind of like, read between the lines on certain things. And I think what's so amazing about asking you about your faith and then you talking about how, you know, this was no accident. I mean, there's a purpose behind uh, behind Jeffrey and his diagnosis. And I just think what's amazing, what, what you spoke about earlier about your daughter going to school to be a neuroscientist. I yeah. mean, unbelievable. And then, and then your other child, you know, following in the, uh, the, the therapy route, right? Yeah, that's but, what he thinks he wants to be. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's absolutely amazing. So 
I think I think that just affirms right there. Like you said, it's like there there is a purpose behind things that we don't understand sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And I think it's important to have an eternal perspective. Yeah. Because we can get too bogged down with the now, you know, the the hard of the now and that like you said, like, you know, the uncertainty of like your income because you're building this business or whatever. Like all those things yeah. kind of they want to crowd. And we have to do a really good job of keeping that noise out um, and just being focused, you know, focused on the path and the calling and the purpose that God has given us. And um, it can take some time to figure that out. But, you know, once you once you do, um, it's really incredible what can happen. Yeah. Sorry, I've been a little distracted the last couple minutes trying to keep the one year old quiet, but. All in all, I love your story. I think it's so beautiful and such a testimony in so many different ways. I think that's why we were able to touch on so many different topics. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm in awe. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I, just, thank I think you. you're great. I want to like meet Jeffrey now. I know you just said he's saying in a, uh, a talent show, he's saying, right? And played guitar. Yeah. So we did cool. post it on our, our, um, Facebook page. We posted his, I'm go watch awesome. after this. Yeah, we'll definitely have to <laughs> yeah, watch please do. He sang 10,000 reasons by Matt Redman. Oh, cool. So yeah. Special. So good. Yeah. That's so cool. So yeah. Cool. He's well, awesome. Gosh. Well, let me ask you this, Cammie. Is there anything that you wish that we would have talked about that maybe a question we didn't ask you about. I always, I always like to ask that question because yeah. it's unique. You know, I think the one thing I would say um, is that it doesn't need to be hard. I, I definitely talk about that a lot, that change does not need to be hard. And I think we need to be of that mindset so that we can make really good change, you know? And I think we just, I think we just inundate ourselves with overwhelm and this is going to be so hard. And what I've learned is as you're making, like taking simple steps towards the goal, that's how you get there. Like you don't have to do it all at once, um, but just do the next right thing for your family, make the next right choice. Um, and that is what makes all the difference. Incredible stuff today, Cammie. Thank you so much for, uh, for for sharing your story with us. I know, I know we covered a lot of bases. Uh, you know, I know, obviously, people who are listening to this right now are inspired, just like we are. So, so where can people find out more about you and uh, and and what you do? Yeah, so I have a Facebook page. My business is called Family Wellness Warriors because I want everybody to take control. Right, lead their pack. Lionesses. That's kind of my logo. You know, I think we're all moms and dads too. Those male oh, lions are super yeah. important, leading the pride. Right, right, right. Um, but that's kind of my symbolism around it. But um, so you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Instagram. Um, and I do run these challenges. I do them at this point once a month so that I can really teach people all the basics. It's a nice overview of what I do. And then I also have the ability for people to continue working with me, um, coaching and mentoring. So somebody, a really another mom to come work with you shoulder to shoulder. And let's just do this step by step. And you'd be surprised how much you can do in a short amount of time um, and without the overwhelm and without the chaos and without the um, self-doubt and the worry. Because I do think with our vulnerable kids, a lot of us in, and, and our neurotypical kids, like you're always constantly saying, am I making the right choice? Am I doing the right thing? 
And so when we're able to do things in community, it just really helps to bolster our confidence as well. So that's where you can find me. And I'll give you guys all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And then, and then just audibly, could, could you tell us what, what your social media handles are? Um, yeah. So it is, um, it's actually, so my business name is Family Wellness Warriors, but my handle mm-hmm. is at the essential couple, the essential couple, because I'm into essential oils. So that was mm-hmm. my original business name. Um, and then you can find me personally on um, Cami Shaw, S-C-H-A-A-L. Is me. Awesome. I I just want to say thank you, Kimmy. I've I've enjoyed talking to you both times now, and I really think that um, can impact somebody today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for being on the podcast, Kimmy. Thanks for listening to the Grow Yourself, Grow Your Marriage podcast. If this interview with Kimmy brought you some value, go ahead and share it with somebody else, and don't forget to subscribe to the show. 